Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Britain feels broken, but how do we fix it? Westminster just doesn't seem to have the answers but we have found some people who do. Join me, journalist Becca Hudson, and me, the former MP Ed Vasey, for How I'd Fix. From the price of a pint to the housing crisis, this is the show where we take an alternative look at the problems plaguing the nation. And hear practical solutions from those in the know. Catch new episodes of How I'd Fix wherever you get your podcasts. Rebuilding Britain starts here. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham, on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. It's two days from Christmas, ladies and gentlemen, as if you didn't know. And it has to be said, it is an absolute omni-shambles of a situation. Idiotic shoppers emptying the shelves of Brussels sprouts, broccoli and lemons. Trucks still waiting to see whether the French will open the border and let them drive through it. Government advisers telling us that more lockdowns are coming. And newspapers full of doom and gloom about the mutant virus being everywhere, apparently. Meanwhile, the Brexit talks are still going on. Make sure you want to Weep, doesn't it? But don't worry, I've got an antidote to all of it, right? Do you know what it is? It's me. We're going to be celebrating the power of the human condition, the wealth of family and the absolute and utter power of the people. This, ladies and gentlemen, will not go on forever. And if you feel miserable today, think of something that makes you smile. If you're missing your loved ones, get in touch. We at Talk Radio are here for you throughout the Christmas period with all kinds of special shows, best of compilations, live presenters keeping you company. And of course, we always want to hear from you as well, the purveyors of common sense. First up this morning, we are joined by Reform UK Party Chairman Richard Tice, although uh, he's still waiting for the Electoral Commission to allow the name change from the Brexit Party to the Reform Party, funnily enough. Uh, he's got a challenge from Matt Hancock, the Secretary of State for Health, over the accuracy of the testing, the data and the way that it is collected. If you've had a PCR test, do let us know how it went. 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on, we'll be looking back at some of the highlights of the year with John Rental from The Independent. Yes, there actually were some. And we're crossing to the USA after midday with Sebastian Gorka, advisor to President Donald Trump, for the latest from Washington, D.C. And as Brexit talks continue, we'll check in as well with Lib Dem Christine Jardin. We'll be asking her about why her party wants yet another extension why Keir Starmer now doesn't and what on earth is going on in Scotland by the way 03444991000 Kevin O'Sullivan will be here telling us just what he's going to be doing while I'm away it's all happening on my last show of the year you're listening to me Mike Graham on the fastest growing radio station on the planet it is of course the award winning talk radio mid morning with Mike Graham talk radio and by the way uh, I've been informed this morning that we have won station of the year here it's already. Is it any wonder? I mean, you can't imagine any station that should have won an award above us. Can you? We'll be giving you details of that a little bit later on. First of all, though, let's talk to Richard Tice, Chair of Reform UK, businessman, of course, former MEP for the Brexit Party. Richard, a very good morning to you and greetings of the season. Good morning to you, Mike, and congratulations on your 
award. That's amazing. And you're certainly looking, you know, holiday happy. You're well, definitely in the mood. I'm definitely D-Mob happy. Yeah, this is my last <laughs> show until January the 4th. And, you know, I'm going to try and be positive. I know we've, we've all got challenges in life, Richard. You know, we're all going to try and do the very best we can to spend as much time with our families as we can at Christmas. And I'm a great believer in the triumph of the human spirit. But don't forget, I'm not going to take my foot off the gas when it comes to being Excellent. critical of the government. Well, well um, hopefully uh, listeners will be pleased to know that nor am I either. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to keep the foot absolutely on the gas because I think we are facing uh, one of the most extraordinary um, uh, uh, incompetence, negligence with this whole PCR testing regime, Mike. I'm yeah. so concerned about it. Um, you know, people who follow me on Twitter, as you just said earlier, um, I've sent an 11 page letter to Matt Hancock, the health secretary, setting out my concerns, setting out the evidence, uh, which ranges from uh, from the comparable PCR lateral flow testing in Liverpool, uh, the results we've seen in Merton Tidbill coming out of universities, uh, out of Cambridge University, where they had 100% false positives on PCR when they double tested. Look, the reality is, no one actually knows, and the government has admitted they don't know the operational false positive rate of the PCR test, which is a pretty extraordinary uh, admission. Um, what we fear is that there is major contamination in the five government lighthouse laboratories that process these tests on an industrial scale, mm. uh, totaling some give or take 300,000 every day. And it only takes the tiniest, tiniest contamination, um, basically, to turn what would be a negative into a positive. Yeah. And I just keep hearing story after story of people who feel absolutely fine, they're asymptomatic, um, and they get a positive test. And I'm recommending anybody who gets a positive test who feels fine, go and get a second mm. test. Whether it's a PCR, whether it's a lateral flow, get a second test. So I've set this treble test challenge to the uh, health secretary. I've said, take a thousand people and on the same day, let them have the government uh, PCR test processed in the government laboratories, at the same time have a lateral flow test and then have a second PCR test processed in a private specialist laboratory and let's compare the results so that we can find out whether or not my concerns are valid uh, or whether actually the government's got nothing to worry about um, and that there's you know huge accuracy in the PCR test but let me tell you I mean my worry Mike is that if there is significant false positives then yes of course COVID uh, for the vulnerable, those who are shielding with certain medical conditions. Yes, we know um, that it can be very nasty. Um, but for the vast, vast majority, 99.5% of people who get this virus and who feel they've got symptoms, you know, they survive it no problem at all. My worry is that if we've got huge numbers of false positives, then that is driving all the government strategies, the whole basis of their strategy. And if actually it's based on false, dodgy, contaminated data, then what's that doing to our nation? What's that doing to businesses, jobs, mental health, suicides, all on the back of false data? And let me ask this, chat. Let me, let me let me ask this, Mike. If the government won't accept my challenge, you have to ask, what are they afraid of? Yeah. What are they scared of? What are they worried that we might uncover? 
Yeah, because the point is, as you quite rightly say, everything that they are doing, and this morning's papers bear it out, talking about the mutant, you know, Patrick Vallance saying the mutant virus is everywhere. Well, first of all, you know, the only reason that they apparently discovered the mutant virus uh, is because of this new nerve uh, committee that they've got, uh, which includes the likes of Neil Ferguson in it, who's the man who got us into all sorts of bad places in the first place. He should not be anywhere near government. They're making conclusions, drawing conclusions, making projections and, and making models based upon all this stuff, because we keep being told, Richard, that there's hospitals are filling up. Now, they say it as though it's a fact, but I don't know it to be a fact. And I think a lot of people are wanting proof of that. It's clearly not a fact because, you know, I'm asking around people in the medical world, you know, I'm hearing stories. Yes, of course, hospitals, they're always busy at this time of the year. Guess what, folks? It's the flu season. It's the middle of winter, for heaven's sake. Mm. But the Daily Mail reported uh, last week, they showed that 17 out of 18 major London hospital trusts had less patients, uh, less bed occupancy than in each of the previous two years. So, you know, I think that's it. I went over, if they were genuinely that worried, you might think they might be um, uh, reorganizing and and firing up the Nightingale hospitals. I went last week and I put on my Twitter feed to the the Nightingale hospital in the Excel center um, to ask, uh, there's no sign of it, Mike, not a single sign whatsoever. Um, So I phoned up, uh, you know, I, I phoned up the uh, we phoned up the NHS media team. We phoned up uh, DHSC. Uh, none, neither of those two knew what the status was of the the Nightingale Hospital in East London. It's about three thousand bed capacity, Mike. Um, you know, how can you lose a hospital for heaven's sake? Um, so then I phoned, we phoned up Public Health England. They didn't know what had happened to it. Then we phoned up Mike Hancock's office. Uh, Matt Hancock's office, sorry. Surprise, surprise, no reply. Then we phoned the mayor's office, spoke to the deputy of communications. Ah. Um, uh, and he didn't know what had happened to it. You know, I mean, what's going on? Yeah. It's well, funny enough, you know, we, we, they've, we, they've we, lost a hospital, Mike. Yeah, we rang the, uh, it's, it's like one of those stealth uh, things in a James Bond film, isn't it? It's not actually there. You can see it, but they keep telling you it's not there. We rang Sadiq Khan's office yesterday to ask him on just for old time's sake. You know, we've done it once a week for the entire year. And once again, I'm afraid he wasn't able to join us, you know, but there we are. But, you know, Damien Collins uh, was on MP for Folkestone this morning with uh, Mark Dolan. And he said, well, of course, the problem with the Nightingales is that they were built uh, to, for use purely and simply with um, ventilators. Well, I didn't know that. I never said that at the time. And so apparently they're now not fit for purpose for what it is that they would want to do with them. Because, of course, we were told that ventilators were the answer back in March. Now, apparently, they're not the answer. I'm sorry, but he's talking absolute rubbish. He's just spouting a government claptrap. Mm. The reality is they were built to take capacity. And yes, it was affected at the time there would be some ventilation. But the point is it's capacity. We keep being told they're running out of capacity. Well, folks, you've got a ready-made answer. The yeah. total number of Nightingale beds across the country was about 15,000. Yeah. There's about, supposedly, there's seventeen or 18,000 patients in hospital. But here's the real stat, Mike. Um, uh, we now learn that in recent months, twice as many people have left hospital with a positive COVID test as arrived in hospital with a positive COVID test. So what's going on? Either the hospitals themselves are full of infection or the hospitals are producing a load of false positives. It's quite extraordinary. I don't don't think there's any doubt that there is one place where you can be pretty damn sure you're going to catch coronavirus and that's in a hospital. Yeah, well, that's a pretty damning indictment, in which case, why aren't we using the nightingales and moving COVID patients to those so you can try and uh, separate them out and use the hospitals for all the other major illnesses that are being completely ignored? Mm. You know, people like people like Damien Collins seem to forget 
that over 30,000 people more excess deaths have died at home of non-COVID illnesses than the five-year average because they're not able to get to hospital. They're either too scared or, frankly, they're being told don't come. Right. I mean, you know, there is no question that the cure is far worse than the disease. Um, I'm seriously concerned. The whole thing is based on dodgy contaminated data. And I'm seriously considering, Mike, if Matt Hancock refuses to accept my treble test challenge, then I'm seriously thinking about actually organising it myself. We'll find a thousand people by hook, people by hook or by crook, and we'll organise it because I think this is so serious. It's so seismic. We've got to get to the bottom of it. Yeah, I mean, because I put out a tweet of the weekend, and it was purely. Um to kind of cause a debate really more than anything else because I don't know the answer I'm not an epidemiologist but what I do know is an awful lot of the figures that the government is working on are figures which are not scientific in any way shape or form which are all about behavioral science dreamed up by social psychologists like Neil Ferguson about how people are going to behave and what they should be doing but I said what if for example um, all of the people who are asymptomatic who are testing positive don't actually have it exactly you know and, and, and we've got to know the answer in Norway, for example, whenever anybody who is asymptomatic gets a positive PCR test, very sensibly, they do a double test. Mm. Is it a coincidence that, coincidence that Norway case numbers are a fraction of the case numbers here in the UK? It seems basic common sense. You know, why wouldn't they do this? My real concern here, Mike, is that there is so much money being spent on testing. Give or take, it's about six billion pounds. That means the testing companies have made over a billion pounds of profit in the last six to seven months. Mm. The last thing in the world they want is anybody to blow the lid on the testing scandal um, and to stop them making their tens of millions of pounds every week. And, you know, someone has got to call time on this. Um, you know, it's just unbelievable what, what I fear is going on. And I'm working closely with, uh, you know, scientific and medical advisors. I'm getting whistleblowers phone me up from hospitals. Um, you know, from testing centres. Um, unbelievably, Mike, and I can, ex I can reveal this exclusively this morning uh, on talk radio. I've literally just heard from someone who, uh, who takes samples and who sends PCR samples and sends them to a private laboratory, okay? Not a government laboratory, a private laboratory. That private laboratory has been banned by Public Health England from releasing the detailed results you know, the cycle thresholds and how much, uh, what are the actual results of each test to the customer, to the patient, mm. to the person doing the testing, banned by Public Health England. What are they hiding, Mike? Mm. What are they covering up? What are they so scared of? Very good question. Let me put this to you. Gary Mitchell uh, has tweeted us in. He says, OK, Mr. Tice, if this increase in COVID-19 cases is all down to false positives, how do you explain that the number of people dying from it has gone up so much over the last two months? Surely that can only be down to there being more of it about. Um, it's a great question. But every winter you get more flu, you mm. get more respiratory attendances in hospital. So he's asking exactly the right question. And I'm not saying there's no COVID. Right. I'm not saying it hasn't increased. What I'm saying is, look at the respiratory attendances in the hospital. It's hundreds less every day. So what you've got is you've got people that are being allocated as a COVID patient, either with a genuine or with a false positive test, who are in hospital, whereas otherwise they would be in hospital and allocated as a respiratory patient. Mm. Um, and, and, and in a sense, look, in a sense, let's, let's hope I'm wrong. Let's hope the government's perfect and pure and fantastic and 100% brilliant in everything it does. 
But, you know, we need to know, Mike. Yes. We need to know the truth. We need to know. And if the government won't do this, you have to ask, why won't they? Yeah. Why won't they double and treble check so that we can all be sure? And if, look, if they're right, fine. At least I've raised it and we've got that certainty. We've got that clarity. But, you know, I, everything I'm hearing... The way that the, you know, you're now hearing Public Health England banning laboratories mm. from releasing the detailed results of each test. That stinks of something really, really statist, dictatorial, authoritarian, almost communist. It really, really worries me. And, I yeah. discovered that this morning. And I think you're right. And I think you're right. And I think the questions, unfortunately, that you are asking should have been asked by the media who have been completely supine over all of this. You know, they repeat parrot fashion, you know, as if there is this new variant which is going to, you know, spread like wildfire throughout the communities, as if they know that to be true. Nobody knows it to be true. In fact, we heard at the weekend, did we not, that the very committee, Nerve Tag, that recommended uh, that there was this new coronavirus uh, strain, didn't actually recommend Tier 4 lockdown. No, I mean, and it's not just the media, Mike. Yeah, there's 650 MPs. And OK, some of them are on the government payroll. But what about the rest of them? Well, what about Keir, Keir, Keir Starmer yesterday, in the midst of all of this, in the midst of the French blockade, in the midst of the new strain, in the midst of tier four lockdown, in the midst of people being unable and incapable of making any money, decides to put out his new rules for devolution. I mean, what a complete plank. Unfortunately, he can't, he's, he's too late to win plank of the year. <laughs> but, but seriously, I mean, you know, the, there are hundreds of MPs, you know, who've got access to the same information. They can speak to the same specialists that I'm speaking to, you know, to check this information. You know, we owe it to the nation to find out the truth as to what on earth is going on. And, you know, I mean, you've got these, these new lateral flow tests. Uh, and, you know, I spotted it because I spotted that in Liverpool, when they were doing comparable testing uh, in the same community of folk, the lateral flow tests were producing just one fifth of the PCR tests. And that's what suddenly woke me up uh, to this issue. And, you know, there's, there's question marks about the lateral flow test. Fine, let's let's check them all together with a thousand or two thousand people. Then we know in an operational setting, actually, you know, where you are. And, and the great thing is when when you know sort of your weaknesses, you can deal with them and you can answer the questions. Um, but what's just not acceptable is to lock down a nation um, and destroy firms, businesses, health and soaring suicides without being absolutely certain about the quality of the data that you as a government are basing all of your decisions, all of your strategy on. Um, and yeah, if, you know, if I don't hear from Hancock uh, and his team that they're going to accept this challenge, um, you know, I'm not going to let this matter rest there. We've got to know the truth about this. Yes. And I think you're quite right to question them. There are people who will disagree. There will people who there will be people who will say that lateral flow tests, as I've said to you before, are done in a different way and you can't compare the two. Doesn't matter. These are all questions that should be answered. We've already got some great response on Twitter, Richard, who are people saying they'll they'll help crowdfund this testing thing if it needs to be done that Fantastic. way. Fantastic. So so listen, we're we're with you all the way uh, because what we're about here is getting to the truth. It's not about having you know knocking people. It's not about knocking the government. People think that oh, you just want to let it rip and kill people. Rubbish. Absolutely cobblers we want to it's, see the government doing the, the best they can do for the people of this country and that includes those who don't have coronavirus and who run business it's basic common sense mike yeah and of course you are the home of common sense we are not only that we are now the radio station of the year richard one final question what do you make of the french and this ridiculous blockade i didn't notice them blockading belgium when they had the highest rate of coronavirus in the world 
I know, look, it's Christmas, bless them, Mike. I mean, you'd expect nothing else. You know, <laughs> we love them dearly for all, for all, you know, we love their wine, we love their cheese. There's no surprise Macron's played a bit of a, you know, he's played a bit I of mean, a he's got, this guy got, got coronavirus, is the ultimate irony. You couldn't make it up. You literally couldn't make this stuff up. But look, I think, um, uh, I, I think he's slightly overplayed his hand. Um, it's caused a huge amount of angst, um, totally unnecessary. You know, it's quite clear. I mean, you know, lorry drivers, um, you know, they spend so many hours on their own. And of course, you could easily give them a quick lateral flow test when they get to the port and they could check at the other end. You can deal with all this stuff. Mm. It's what I call a can-do, make-things-happen type attitude, um, as opposed to this sort of, you know, bureaucratic dogma uh, that just stifles innovation and stifles productivity. It's just... It's, it's just utter madness. Yeah, absolutely right. Well, brilliant to talk to you, Richard. Have a great Christmas, and uh, we'll see you on the other side, as they say, and uh, hopefully things may have improved a bit by then. Hope. Let's hope so. Richard Tice, uh, Chair of Reform UK, businessman, former MEP. As I say, can't call it Reform UK quite officially yet because the Electoral Commission dragging its heels uh, on the basis that, uh, oh, those people from the Brexit party want to change the name of the party. Oh, we better say no uh, and make them try again because that's how... A bureaucracy works in this country. This is Talk Radio. We are the station of the year. I'm delighted to announce the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Now, uh, there are many, many uh, uh, communications that I've had over the course of this past year and indeed last year, because people I remember said to me in 2019, it's been a bit weird this year, hasn't it? I mean, that was before we got into 2020 or 2020, uh, if that's what you want to call it. But let's talk now to one of my favourite politicians, Christine Jardin, Liberal Democrat MP, and one of the only Liberal Democrats that makes any sense, actually, to be in, in entire fairness. Christine, a very good morning to you. Hey, good morning, Mike. I think you've been a bit unfair to my colleagues, but I'll let that one yeah, but go. Let, let, listen, that's as good as it's going to get, for heaven's sake. Now, listen, you and I have had some some, some great conversations over the course of time. Um, you now seem to be, and I, obviously we, we don't count the SNP, but in, in terms of uh, Westminster parties, you are now, I think, the only party that wants to have an extension to the Brexit negotiations. Ed Davey put a tweet out just the other day. Steve, Keir Starmer now says he doesn't want to. Um, he wants to just get on with it. So why, um, without wishing to, um, to to sort of, you know, labour the point, would an extension do any good? We've already had like one extension after another. We're still in another extension, aren't we? Yeah, the, the problem is COVID. I mean, we have left the European Union. Let's be absolutely clear about that. We've left the European Union. This is not some attempt to stop it happening. It is simply that our businesses, um, our exporters need uh, to know... Uh, they need some clarity. They need an adjustment period. They need, and you know, I would, I would appeal to the European Union about this as well, because surely their um, businesses are in exactly the same position with us. Um, nobody expected the situation we've got at the moment with COVID-19. None of us no. um, at the start of the year. So that, if, if what you like, is, is certainly it's our motivation, it's my motivation in saying, look, can we just have a bit of an adjustment period um, I think we all know that if they don't reach a deal, then there is always the potential for a, a deal sometime in the future. It would be better if we had a deal. It would be better if we had some period of adjustment for our businesses so that they know what they're doing. Scotch whiskey, for example, they need to know how to label things before they send it abroad. Mm. These are all the things. So this is an entirely practical, pragmatic way of helping business adjust 
to the end of the transition period. That's all it is. Yeah, and I, but I've always said, Christine, uh, to you and to anybody else, that, you know, it's never ever going to just come to a complete stop and everybody's going to go, right, now this is happening. There's always going to be a period of negotiation, is there not? Because most countries, like, for example, Switzerland, other countries, they're in a constant kind of negotiation over everything all the time. And yes, you can agree a kind of framework, yeah. Um, yeah. but you don't have to dot every I and cross every T, do you? The problem with our negotiations is the difference between us negotiating and Australia or uh, Canada or America in that um, they don't have a set of rules that have a deadline for coming to an end. And that's the difficulty that we have. Um, Our current trading arrangement comes to an abrupt halt on the 31st of December at midnight, midnight 31st 1st. So that's the problem. That's We've got a slight uh, delay coming on the line. We'll see if we can get a better line for you because you seem to have frozen. Christine Jardine talking to us about Brexit. I want to ask her as well about what's going on in Scotland because, of course, if you were um, uh, a resident of Scotland, you might be under the impression um, that we only hear from the SNP. We only hear from Ian Blackford. We only hear from Nicola Sturgeon. We only know uh, what they think they know about the whole country of Scotland wanting to remain inside the European Union. I think we've got you back, Christine. Sorry, we just lost you there. (laughs) Some might say that's an advantage, Mike. (laughs) Well, I would not be one of them. Um, So you were saying about the deadline on December 31st. That's the issue. That's um, the the problems which will be caused if we have no agreement with Europe suddenly on the 31st of December. For us and for the European Union, let's be honest. So that is why it's important that we treat this perhaps differently from other trade negotiations, which, as you say, the Canadian one took, what, seven years? Yeah, I mean, it's not um, easy. They it? can take a long time. We need this resolved so that our business knows, our companies, our employees, every job in this country can rely on the fact that we know where we're going on the 1st of January. Yes, but there's not that many jobs in this country that rely on the European Union, as, as you well know, because an awful lot of companies and businesses in this country don't even do business with the EU as such. And you could have a no-deal scenario and just leave it to individual companies and individual trades, surely, to work it out, couldn't you? Well, that would be the worst case scenario. And if you listen to don't take my word for it, Mike, listen to the shellfish producers in the, the north of Scotland. Listen to the car manufacturers. Why, what the do they say? They say they need a deal. They say they need to know um, the rules. They need a set of rules and regulations. They need a deal to be able to trade efficiently and protect jobs, which are already under... Well, the EU's already money. stolen most of the shellfish producers' jobs over the past 30 years, haven't they? Well, let's not argue about the EU. We have moved on from there. What we are talking about now is what is best for this country. Um, it's For me, it's always been what we were talking about. We disagreed about what might be the best um, solution. But where we are now, um, we, we need the best outcome from these negotiations. And the best outcome from these negotiations for all of our employers, all of our companies, is a deal that a good deal that safeguards jobs so that they know what they are doing on the 1st of January. For me, it's inconceivable that, you know, you have major producers in this country, you have major sectors of the economy, which are, you know, still waiting to find out exactly what conditions they'll be trading under with our largest 
trading partner. Yeah, well, I'm not hearing from individuals. Time. Yeah, but I speak to a lot of businessmen, Christine. I'm not hearing from any businessmen. You hear from lots of organisations like the Confederation for British Industry, uh, like, you know, the Organisation for Small Business. You don't hear from individual businesses when I talk to them. I do. Well, I, I do. Well, I, I, well, I, well, I name hear one, from then. individual businesses. Name one. I, well, no, because I have private conversations oh, with I them. See. And, I, you know, I would... You know, it's confidential. Right, okay. I hear from businesses in my community. I hear from representatives of businesses because for confidentiality agreements, they like, you know, the CBI and the Federation of Small Businesses to represent them. Well, I'm, 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 call, right, well, I'm going to call right now for people who don't mind about confidentiality to ring this show and tell me that they can't do business with anyone in Europe because they don't know how to do it. It's absolute nonsense. You know, we talk to people all the time who export all over the world and they all say, you know, business is not done between countries. Business is done on the basis of business. I absolutely agree. It is done. It is done business to business, but they have to know what the framework they're operating in. They have to know, take for example, it's a subject close to my heart, whiskey. They have to know what the tariffs will be. They've already got massive tariffs because of of, um, the US. They're they're thinking, now, what will the tariffs be on the 1st of January? What do they have to put on the labels on the 1st of January? They need to know all of this. Other industries, lamb producers in Wales, they need to know if there are going to be tariffs on lamb in Wales before they can do any business. Fish processors, fishermen, they all need to know. Yeah, but you're not going to sit here and tell me, Christine, that literally, you're not going to tell me that literally eight days before the deadline, there's some bloke up in a whiskey distillery wondering what to put on a label on a bottle that he wants to send to France on January the 2nd. That's simply not true. Well, there's lots of different ways. Lots of different companies are dealing with the fact that they don't know what's to happen. Right. And and I have to take my hat off to them. I don't know how they're doing it. But, you but know, they are doing it. The point is they are doing it. But it's costing that. them money. It's costing them money. And well, at that at a time when they are under incredible pressure because of COVID-19, because of the restrictions that we're all living under. And I'm not complaining about um, living under the restrictions because I'd rather everyone was safe. Well, but, are you convinced um, Are you convinced that all this modelling and all this projection is actually keeping us safe? Because if it was keeping us safe, they wouldn't have to keep making the lockdowns worse, would they? Well, I'm not happy with a lot of the decisions the government have made, which, um, you know, will not surprise you. And I think over the summer, for example, a lot more progress could have been made on test, trace and isolate. A lot more progress could have been made in trying to um, set up responses. You know, we just we lost a lot of time over the summer when um, we could have done more to give the people in the NHS who now have had the best part of a year dealing with this at the front line every day. We could have done more to take the pressure off them. So do I think the government has done a great job? No, I don't particularly think they've done a great job. But on the other hand, I respect the fact that this new strain of COVID-19 is incredibly transmissible and we have to be very You don't know that. How do you know that? Because we still have... Because we have the scientific evidence. No, we don't. We have a model. I'm not making it up. No, we have no, the scientific on, evidence. No, we have Neil Ferguson, you know, the bloke that thought it was a great idea um, to, to avoid his own rules, to go against his own lockdown rules uh, and meet well, somebody he, who he shouldn't have done. He's now back in government. He's back at nerve tag. He's back telling Boris Johnson that this could happen if you don't do that. That's not evidence. I'm not talking about Neil Ferguson. I'm talking about the World Health Organization. I'm talking about Siege. I'm they talking about they the didn't, None of them knew anything the about this. No, sorry. The new, new no, the new variant, Christine. The new variant, new variant. The new variant has come in as a result of it being discovered in Britain, not by the World Health Organization, but being discovered, I didn't say they discovered by it. nerve tag. I'm seeing, I'm seeing all of the scientific people 
to whom we turn for advice in this, you have the expertise to be able to to be able to look at um, the genoming, to look at the, the structure of the virus, to look at how to combat it. All the people who we depend on to get us through this, they are the ones we should be listening to. And I don't think... I don't disagree with that. The government's in a lot of places has been ideal. Now, that's, I, you know, don't get me wrong. I appreciate that um, they are in an incredibly difficult situation. But too often... We've had to wait too long for decisions from Boris Johnson. Well, here's the final point I would give you, Christine, and that is that okay. some of these people that you refer to in Nerve Tag have already said that they didn't know for sure that it's 70% more uh, transmissible. They didn't say that. They also didn't advise the government to lock down into Tier 4 in every area of South East England. They also don't know for sure how far this is spreading. They just don't know. And that's been one thing you can say about everything that's happened this year is that there's been an awful lot that wasn't known, right? We, we thought, that's for example, it. we thought, for example, and I'm not blaming anybody for that, but I just, I'm very, very um, wary of taking anybody at their word to say, we know for sure this is going to happen because quite frankly, if that was the case, this would have been solved by now. I think actually, mate, that's a very good point you make. That you. Um, a lot of A lot of what we're dealing with- I'm so moment, surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean to sound surprised, but you know, you might be surprised I'm saying it. But you know, right. it, a lot of what we're dealing with at the moment, and what the government is dealing with, and the Scottish government, the Welsh government as well, is unknown. Um, and they are having to uh, make the best decisions they can in difficult circumstances. And I completely respect that. Um, but at the same time, there are decisions that I think they could have taken quicker. There are decisions which I think would have been more effective. For example, um, October, they discovered that this new variant was in the UK sometime in September. Um, I think to you know leave it until the very last minute to put you know to to dash people's hopes of Christmas was. It, you know, it was it was a bit cruel. cruel it could yeah. have been done better. It, it could have been done earlier. And I think that's my concern with this government's actions. But I do, I, you know, I I accept that it's an incredibly difficult situation. It's the first time we've had anything in not just this country, across the globe for God knows how many years. But my job as an opposition politician is to hold them to account and make sure they get things done, they get them done timidly and they protect the public. Yeah, That's my job. And I think there have been times when they haven't, they haven't um, met the criteria that we would have wanted. Sure. Christine, have a great Christmas. Thank you very much indeed. We shall see you in the new year. I would say happy Hogmanay in Edinburgh, but it's been banned apparently by Nicola Sturgeon. So uh, we'll see you soon. Christine Jard in there uh, from the Liberal Democrats. Uh, always good up. Uh, good to have a little bit of a row with her about this, that and the other. But here's the thing. It's not absolutely and utterly certain. None of it is. Nothing is certain. Of course, people need to be protected, but all people need to be protected, not just those uh, who might be likely to get coronavirus. Do you see what I'm saying? This is Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So the front page of the Sun this morning, Sprouts of Order. Boris Johnson last night urged Brits to stop panic buying as shells were stripped of sprouts and turkeys. I mean, it never ceases to amaze me that whenever anybody says anything which is liable to uh, somehow affect what might happen next week or tomorrow or the day after, people run out and buy food. I mean, we've got more food in this country than we know what to do with. Let's talk to Kate Hardcastle, MBE, retail analyst, of course. Kate, a very good morning to you. Welcome. 
Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Uh, yeah, very well indeed. What's wrong with people? I mean, I heard this morning from somebody saying, oh, I think that we're going to run out of lemons. I'm like, well, you could probably live without lemons for a while if you had to, couldn't you? I mean, is it so important to have lemons? Well, I think if we go easy on people, there's three things happening at the moment that don't normally come together. We've got the usual Christmas panic, a lot of emotional push and, and meaning put on the Christmas shop and the Christmas dinner. This year, very different, as we know, because of COVID. And we've already seen the stores opening, closing, opening, closing again. And people are very uncertain about what that means to them and wanting to make sure they provide for the families. Mm. And if you're adding that, a touch of uh, a sprinkling of Brexit on the top, it's quite an unusual, unforgiving Christmas for both consumer and retailer. So absolutely, panic buying does no favours for anyone. No. It creates empty shelves very quickly. That doesn't mean there isn't stock in the back or stock on its way, but then that is then picked up by people with images for social media. Social media messages get out there and panic creates yeah. panic in others. I mean, there was a lot. I mean, Absolutely. I, I, I was going to say, I blamed a lot of the media, actually, because when I woke up on Monday morning, as far as I was aware, there were no lorries moving between France and Britain, which turned out not to be true at all. There was a blockade between Britain and France, but actually the lorries were coming through from the continent. So it wasn't actually true to say that there was a complete and utter blockage. So the supplies are still coming in. Um, what effect is all of it having, though, in terms of the... I mean, I'm not even really sure what the stuff is that's going to France, which is currently stuck in a, a lorry park in Kent. I don't really know what's on those lorries. Hopefully some English sparkling wine, hey? <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it shouldn't be that difficult to buy everything that you need to buy. And I also have heard from other people who have got massive amounts of food in the house expecting to feed 10 people who are now not coming. So they've actually got yeah. more food than they need rather than less. Look, we, we overbuy every Christmas and there's so much waste to waste at Christmas anyway. There's that perpetual drip feed of messaging from advertising, from these images that you see on television, got to be perfect, got to make it right. And that can create up to an extra 60% purchases in store than we intend to buy. So we suddenly all do in the main react to it. Yes, there'll be your super shopper who's cold and can keep really composed. But a lot of us will also react to those messages online. That's why there's been this concern that absolutely our distribution fleets are at capacity. Mm. They are hitting levels four or five times the level of last year, if not more in some cases. And that's why, you know, we've got a lot of people that are kind of concerned about they've had to use online this year and there isn't any available okay i think the retailers in the men are doing a pretty good job they're guiding people to say this is what your options are at this time but they've drawn a firm line to say they're not going to deliver anymore which is, is good because then people aren't just buying pe things in the false hope but what we've got to try and do which is so difficult after the year we've had is take the emotion out of it ourselves as consumers there is going to be food we've got that huge commitment of the collaboration of the supermarkets right back in march saying we will feed the nation it just means that every time you go shopping and you get tens the thousands of different brands and choices you might have the odd one that's a little bit out of stock and we're going to have to deal with that not just because of the tier fours but also because of brexit and everything else that's on its way they're well, managing right. all the food through that we need and you're just maybe going to have to be a bit more inventive about what you want to buy exactly and i think there's lessons to be learned in that for, for everyone but the other thing that i think is a bit unclear to a lot of people and i don't know whether you can answer this question is what about in tier four now which is quite a large part of the southeast of england um what exactly is um essential shopping because everybody I ask doesn't really know the answer. What have they? What has had to close down? Is it clothes shops not open anymore? What? So non-essential is anything that isn't essential to day-to-day -day living. And there is kind of a band of stores that you might question teeter on the edge of that in terms of essential purchases. We know through the summer there were 
some of the uh, garden centres and DIY stores able to open. But the idea being that obviously if you've got a plumbing emergency, you can go out and get a spare part. So it's always best to check locally in terms of the store you're visiting. But if you want to buy non-essential goods, if you want to buy the Christmas presents and things, absolutely, those businesses are utterly dependent on you right now. Certainly the smaller businesses that have had to open and close like an accordion just can't yes. keep up with the cost of, of dealing with it. And I think it's really important. I'm asking just everyone to take five minutes extra just to try and do a bit more research to understand maybe if you're still going to buy, don't go to the obvious choices. Maybe try and see if it's still an independent you can support through a click and collect because they've been so inventive. They've really been entrepreneurial in trying to find ways to still keep selling safely at this time. Yeah, I mean, that is the problem, isn't it? Because, I mean, I might want to do a little bit of last-minute Christmas shopping, but I'm not absolutely certain where to go. I drove past a Curry's the other day, which was still open, mm. uh, so, which confused me slightly. Uh, being accused, I can understand, because that's building works and stuff like that. But I don't even know if someone like John Lewis is open. Uh, no, the, the the John Lewis's store shouldn't be open because they should be only open for click and collect. But don't forget, click and collect. There's lots of packages going through that way at the moment. So it might look like stores are open if, in fact, they're not open mm. for browsing. Ah. They might be open just to service those collection points. Oh, okay. And you've got some stores where they're partially opened as well, where some food might be on offer, but they've closed off other areas to stop browsing. Oh, okay. you know, click and collect is, is something that can get... We've seen this. We've driven past pubs and restaurants that look open when they shouldn't be and actually found out that they've kind of transferred their business into a takeaway service. Yes. So probably worth finding out before we um, hold too many feet to the flame. But I think people are just being really entrepreneurial in that they've got to try and make it work. The, the suggestion is that there's going to be £400 million wiped out of spending just in this tier four for a few days. And and I'm sure it would be more because we are so reactive to what yeah. we buy. We're going to stop for one thing, we buy more. Right, absolutely right. Well, listen, Kate, I hope you can have a decent Christmas, however uh, little or small or tiny it may be. Uh, and we shall speak Thank to you, you in the new year, I'm sure. Certainly will. Take care, Michael. Thank you very much. Kate Hardcastle, retail analyst there. I mean, we were told on Friday that something like 5.3 billion quid was going to be spent uh, in the shops over the course of the weekend. I'm not even sure if that didn't happen as a result of the announcements from Saturday. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. 
So, um, I guess you'll all be uh, getting ready to do whatever it is you are going to be able to do for the next few days. Christmas literally two days away. Christmas Eve coming on Thursday, Christmas Day Friday. New Year is not looking particularly festive at all. But let's say a very Merry Christmas to John Rental, Chief Political Commentator at The Independent. John, welcome. Hello there. Thank you very <laughs> much. Yes. Well. Now, I know that this is a tall order to ask you to come on this show and uh, explain what the highlights or your highlights of 2020 have been is. Um, but I feel certain, John, that being a, an optimist, you've got some. Uh, no, I am an optimist. And, uh, and actually, the, the difficulty is that obviously for a lot of people, it's been a very difficult and sad year. Mm. Uh, but you know for some of us it's been uh, it's been interesting and pleasant and uh, you know getting outside much more i don't go on the tube anymore i cycle everywhere right. and uh, i actually get to uh, get to, get to enjoy london i mean it's just uh, it's it's been uh, it's been terrific yeah and um, i think i which, think i mean i'm i'm happy that you've said that in a way because i think some people feel slightly kind of um hesitant to say that the year for them has not been terrible because we have great sympathy for people who have struggled this year and, and nobody more than me uh, for people who haven't been able to open their business, who haven't been able to make any money, who've lost their jobs, you know, but there's no point in being what I would call smarmy about it and sort of trying to be all sympathetic because you have not had a bad year. I have not had a bad year. Talk Radio has had a very successful year. But, you know, obviously we, we are, we do think about those who haven't. Yeah, um, I mean, absolutely. And I think that's... Uh... That's right. And I think I think the, the, the British sense of compassion has been on show as well. I yeah. mean, I do think uh, I think people have looked out for each other. I think uh, I think that it's been a good year in that sense, mm. in that you know, a lot of people have suffered, uh, but a lot of other people have stepped up to the plate and um, uh, and, and, and helped look after them. And I think that's uh, that's another that's another good thing. Yeah. About it. Well, do you know what I've enjoyed actually is the kind of um, uh, the, the agility, if you like, of British business, where a lot of people went from doing one thing to suddenly doing something else. And I'm not just talking about Matt Hancock's mates that suddenly went from running a pub to uh, making PPE, but I'm talking about people like um, you know uh, distilleries who decided that they couldn't make beer because they couldn't sell it, so they were going to make hand sanitizer yeah. instead, and that kind of thing. Yeah, and well, but I, I don't disparage people who you know turn from uh, f from doing other things to making PPE, uh, and I think uh, a lot of restaurants and uh, uh, places have really adapted to sort of take away doing takeaway food mm -hmm. uh, extremely quickly. Uh, I think I think generally um, we've shown as a nation that we can adapt, and we are quite uh, we are quite agile. Mm. I mean, obviously there have been things that have that have been badly handled, uh, but I do think you know the icing on the cake at the end of the year was that we approved the vaccine first and i think that uh, that really was you know that was that was down to the fact that we've got good scientists who know what they're doing yeah. and we're able to Quickly. Yes, and I, and I think we should all be very proud of that particularly given that in the eu still i don't think they've had any vaccines out at all have they no they, well they only approved it yesterday yeah um, and so uh, whereas we approved it and started vaccinating people the next morning. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, I mean, let's they, let's begin, I suppose, where we should begin, because the overarching story of this year uh, really has been Boris Johnson's um, life in a way, because suddenly he went from yeah. being, you know, the master of all he surveyed on January 31st, you know, the big party in Westminster, you know, people going to parties that night. I remember going to a Brexit party party that I was invited to. And suddenly the world looked like a very optimistic and, and kind of glorious place to be, unless you were a rabid Remainer, of course. Um, and, and then it suddenly kind of went horribly wrong from about March the kind of 18th, didn't it? 
You, well, before, before that, I, I remember the budget. The, Rishi Sunak's first budget was on March the 11th. And I remember that was the day that uh, um, Nadine Doris was diagnosed as, uh, as yes, uh, coronavirus course. positive. Yeah. And that was when I decided to, I thought, I'll tell you what, I won't go into, uh, mm. won't go into West today. I'll do, I'll do the budget from home. So I remember that, that vividly. That was the day that everything changed. Yes. And, and, and Boris Johnson faced, you know, the biggest uh, challenge of his life. Mm. Um, and, you know, although he, I don't think he's responded to it particularly well, he has ended up the year still standing mm. and remarkably popular with the, with the British public. I mean, mm. for for a for an incumbent prime minister, I think he's doing uh, he's he's doing reasonably well. I think uh, I think the people who wrote him off. I mean, a lot of people have said he'd be gone by Christmas. Mm. Um, I wasn't another, one of them. I, I, I think that was I think that was wildly I think that was wildly inaccurate. I don't think it was that was ever going to be the case. But I think now well, he's gone. Last Christmas, if you remember as well, because he wasn't going to be able to deliver on his mm. October the 31st deadline for getting us out of the EU. Yeah. Uh, so people people consistently uh, underestimate him. And uh, I think that I think he'll still be prime minister by the time of the next election in 2024. Yeah, and I must say, you've always been a staunch uh, believer in his uh, sort of longevity, if you like, in the ability, inability of anybody to, to get rid of him. I think a lot of it will depend on uh, how Brexit goes and how the whole kind of, you know, um, COVID thing plays out. I'm hopeful yeah. that by sort of Easter, COVID will have become slightly less virulent and, and, and or more people will have been vaccinated and we'll be in a very different place. Well, yeah, but I mean, I mean, the problem is that Boris Johnson keeps saying that as well. And then uh, and then things turn turn worse. Yeah. So um, but but as I say, he, he continues to he continues to survive. No, I'm I'm a I'm a vaccine optimist. I mean, I do think the, the, the critical thing is is to vaccinate the vulnerable groups and the and the people over 80. Once once they've been vaccinated, uh, it, which which shouldn't take long at the rate we're going, um, then I think we can really start to look at uh, relaxing the restrictions and opening up the economy again. Mm. Yeah, well, I think you're right. But I think the spring will be more important than anything, because I think what people don't really want to be uh, re reminded of right now, particularly the politicians, is that, you know, there's a lot of reasons why things are getting a little bit worse and people are getting more infected and more people are supposedly going to hospital. It's because it's winter. And that's what always happens. I mean, how many winters have you and I been through where somebody pops up and says, the NHS is in crisis? You know, it's in crisis every bleeding year. So, you know, this yeah. is nothing new, really. Well, yeah, except that we've got a coronavirus crisis on top of that. And on top of that, we've got this possibly uh, more virulent strain or more transmissible well, strain. Well, we, we don't um, know. We, we, we may have. We, I mean, we're not even sure about that yet. Well, yeah, I mean, some of those graphs uh, don't look... Don't, don't talk don't to me about the graphs. Please don't talk to me about the graphs. This, was, <laughs> this is the year of the graph, right? I know you're a and bit we, of a graph sceptic. I am a graph sceptic because I want to see the graph that covers the entire thing rather than the bit of the graph they want to show us. And I think the government and the scientists have done themselves no favours at all by trying to, to, to skew those graphs and make us think things which aren't true. Well, there, there was there was a, one particular graph that that was a bit of a problem. That is, that's well, there have been right. several actually. There have been several. No. There have been several, particularly but, yeah. the the heat the, the heat graph that went from white to to black, you know, and red in between, which they forgot yeah. to show the white bit of, and then uh, the other graph where they forgot to show uh, the bit where if if they'd included March and April, what they were then showing us would have seemed minuscule. Right. Yeah. But uh, the, I mean, the graph for for the number of cases and the positivity rate. Uh, for for London, uh, the southeast and the east of the country, uh, in recent weeks is uh, is is not great. I mean, I think that is a a, a very 
a, a very downbeat note to end the year on. No, that's true. But again, depending on what's happening to those people who are getting infected is the key. And we don't yet really know what that is. All we know is what uh, Ferguson and his mates project will be the case if we don't do anything. But let's go back a bit to when Boris Johnson uh, was admitted to hospital, because I very, very well remember that night thinking as I went to bed, I was actually quite worried because I thought, you know, this is really serious now. He's gone into intensive care. He's been taken to St. Thomas's yeah. Hospital. You know, we knew um, that he didn't have to, that didn't have to happen before this moment. I actually went to bed that night wondering whether he would be alive in the morning. Well, yeah, no, I mean, we all did. Um, I mean, most of us didn't want to say it because, uh, it, you know, that seemed a bit, uh, a bit, a bit gloomy. Um, but, you know, he had he he tried to present himself as uh, as as fit and healthy, yes. just have, just having, you know, just a bit of a cough, uh, just having to isolate for a bit. And, uh, you know, he'd be back with us. And then the next thing we knew, he was in hospital. And then uh, and the next thing we knew after that, he was in the intensive care unit, um, which they said was 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 a precaution, uh, which is what it turned out to be. But I mean, we just didn't know at what point that slide was going to was was going to stop and that was that was a uh, that was a remarkable moment i mean no question about it and you know he does seem to have bounced back from it um he does quite. i mean he still doesn't always look as healthy as he used to but i'm just going to interrupt you john for a second because there's uh, some breaking news i'm just being handed now as we speak uh, the uh, award that we've just won which is another highlight of 2020 national station of the year it says here for talk radio isn't that marvelous well but I'm sure you'd be willing to congratulate us. I'm sure you've played your part in us winning this, by the way. Here it is. <laughs> well, all, you mean all those all those hours spent in that tent in the rain? Yes. Uh, outside outside Westminster during the uh, those deadlines. Absolutely. Of, of last well, year. Well, do you know, I was saying to somebody this morning, uh, just before I spoke to Christine Jardin, you know, you and I had many conversations. I always repeat the one that we had when you sat down next to me at one point. I think it was probably late November, early December, freezing cold. And I just said to you, I don't know what to ask you anymore. I've just literally <laughs> run out of questions. But, you know, we all said in 2019, this has been a bit of a weird year. Do you remember? I do remember. I remember that vividly. <laughs> um, and... Uh... <laughs> Uh, I, you know, I, we were not confident, or I was not confident that uh, you know Boris Johnson was going to win that uh, win that general election. Uh, although it seems it seems obvious now that you know get Brexit done was a completely uh, effective and powerful slogan. Yes. Um, but you know, there, there it was, and so yeah, as you say, he started the year incredibly uh, uh, on an incredible up note, uh, and then uh, and then it all it, it yeah. did all get difficult. And I know this is not necessarily your area of expertise, but I mean, it's been quite a strange year for the royal family. We had Harry and Meghan leaving the country early in the year. We've had the Prince Andrew revelations knocking around for, for the best part of a year. Ghislaine Maxwell being arrested. Um, you know, where do you think that's all going to go in the next 12 months? Uh, as, you, as you say, Mike, it's not my area of expertise. Yeah, but, constitu um, uh, but constitutionally, I think you would take an interest in it because, you know, the Queen is not getting any younger. Um, yeah. You know, we see um, the attacks on the royal family, not necessarily um, from, from, from dark forces or anything like that, but just, you know, the no. institution of the royal family is in a bit of trouble. Oh, certainly, and, and has been for, for, for a while. Um, I mean, someone made the made the, the joke the other day about it's a shame the Queen having used that Annis um, Horribilis yes, phrase right. uh, already. She, she, she really ought to trot that out uh, <laughs> for this message. Um, no, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, I think, but it's, it's, it has been a problem for some time that when the Queen goes, 
um, you know, there isn't that sort of reservoir of uh, respect and support for, for Prince Charles uh, that there is for her. Mm. Uh, and I think I think the monarchy is going to be in uh, in 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 deep trouble after that. I yeah. think uh, uh, I think that's that's something that uh, Republicans have to look forward to. Yes. And let me ask you, as, as we always do at these uh, in, in these conversations for a look forward to next year. Keir Starmer, I thought with some incredibly bad timing yesterday kind of unveiled his plan for devolution and some kind of commission that he wants to start up. I mean, obviously, independence for Scotland is going to be a big issue over the course of the year, if, in fact, um, the elections go ahead, which we're not certain they are. Oh, well, I mean, I th- surely they, they must go ahead. Um, you know, it was bad enough postponing elections uh, this year um, and watching, um, you know, America was able to, 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 to have its elections. Mm. Uh, ahead. I, I can't. I genuinely cannot see why we can't have have elections. I mean, you know, by May certainly we should be in a position to to have that. But you're right. We, there will then be an absolute festival of uh, of separatism uh, in Scotland as the SNP celebrates its uh, its its huge win and its mandate for another another referendum, which uh, which Boris Johnson will tell tell them that they can't have. Um, so yes, that will be that will be a terrible problem. But you're quite right. I don't think Keir Starmer should have uh, given that speech no. yesterday. It was uh, it was it was a bit badly timed, and his central message was that he he supports the union and he's not in favour of putting borders across uh, any part of the United Kingdom. And to, to to try and sell that message at a time when the government is setting up borders across right. the United Kingdom for corona. <laughs> Well, exactly. And, uh, and also, it's not great. And also, you know, you don't really have much faith in a Labour Party which basically lost Scotland. You know, I mean, they, they kind of, I mean, people were talking about yesterday's blockade as being a spectacular own goal by the Prime Minister. I mean, devolution was a spectacular own goal by Tony Blair, who thought that it would basically curb nationalism and would mean that Labour would run Northern Ireland, Wales and Scotland for the rest of time. And in fact, quite <laughs> the reverse happened. Well, it worked for a bit, um, but no, he was uh, it, that that thesis was proved uh, spectacularly wrong eventually, mm. um, and it does seem curious. You're right that uh, Keir Starmer's uh, solution to the failure of devolution to see off the SNP is to propose more devolution uh, and to hand the SNP government of, uh, of of Scotland even more powers so that it can uh, it, it can it can complain about not having enough power. Yeah. Um, I mean that that pattern just looks set to be repeated uh, again and again um and i'm very gloomy about it i think it's uh, i think it's, it's it's very sad i'm you know deeply attached to the united kingdom i feel scottish myself mm. but i feel british and i feel that scotland is part of something uh, larger than just itself I agree. no i'm totally with you on that and that's a very good point at which to end because we agree on it and i think that the problem for the snp though um is if they ever were granted independence that would be the end of the SNP because there wouldn't be any point in them anymore. And I think there's, they, they quite enjoy being in that kind of limbo land uh, of, uh, of somehow asking for something they can't have. That is, that is true, although, you know, uh, I, w- I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't write off the SNP either. I think they've got, uh, they've got incredible staying oh, no, power. No, no, I no, think, no, I'm not writing them off. What I'm saying is, John, that it suits their purpose to be where they are. It would not suit of their course. purpose to, to actually win independence. No, but we've seen with Brexit that you know a- achieving uh, your goal doesn't doesn't mean that uh, you you then disappear because uh, Boris is uh, Boris is in charge and all the difficulties of Brexit and and the dis- difficulties of separating Scotland uh, from the rest of the UK will be much much worse 
than the difficulties of Brexit. All those difficulties are just, just blamed on the English by, uh, by the SNP, yeah. uh, who will not suffer from it, I mean, I'm, I'm afraid. I mean, mm. it, doesn't, it, just, it just doesn't matter. I mean, but the important point, I think, is to make the case, I mean, to, to point out all the difficulties with the SNP's uh, blueprint for, for independence uh, before we ever get to that, that referendum, because they still haven't resolved the you know, absolutely central questions of the currency, uh, EU membership, right. And all the rest of it, and and how they're going to plug the gap in their finances. There's also no guarantee they'd win a referendum anyway. I mean, as 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 we both know. But listen, John, it's been a pleasure uh, to talk to you all year, and I'm sure we will be doing the same next year. Uh, I'm sure there'll be similar challenges for us all. Uh, I hope you can have a decent Christmas, and um, uh, hopefully, I will not encounter you as you're cycling around London at any point if I'm uh, <laughs> trying to get past you, because I'm not allowed to overtake you now, am I? <laughs> No. Well, I look forward to seeing you in 2021. <laughs> Excellent. John, thank you very much indeed. John Rental, Chief Political Commentator at The Independent. Uh, lots more for us. What was your highlight of 2020? Because there has to be some. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, uh, this is the last show of the year, so I couldn't go off uh, into the sunset without talking to our very good friend and man in Washington, D.C., Mr. Sebastian Gorka. Sebastian, welcome back. Uh, greetings, Mike. Uh, first things first, uh, congratulations. First things first, uh, apologies for the faux pas with Daylight Savings. So <laughs> po- apologies to you, to Izzy and the team. And secondly, talk radio, radio station of the year. Well, of course you are. <laughs> yes, absolutely right. I mean, only the sensible people listen to this station and only the idiots now continue uh, to persist with the BBC, with Sky News. You may have noticed your friend Kay Burley uh, has been yes. taken off the air uh, for being a hypocrite. Uh, yeah. What, what, what's that phrase? Um how delicious the schadenfreude chips are this morning. Well, I've always believed in that great Chinese saying, which is that if you stand by the riverbank for long enough, the bodies of all your enemies will float on by. Um, Exactly. But listen, uh, we haven't really spoken much since... It's it's lovely to see the snow just slowly falling behind you. It is. Now, we're in a bit of a bind here because Boris Johnson appears to have frightened not only half the British population, but half the world with this new variant of, uh, of COVID, which may or may not be any more dangerous. I saw that uh, Fauci last night came out and said, actually, he doesn't think it's any worse than the first one. Can, can we just can we just be <sighs> creatures of reality for yes. a moment? OK, when when we see the insanity, when we see young kids on this yesterday, I was walking out outside and I saw little kids in masks. And I, I felt like saying to the parents, have you looked at the statistics? When I hear the, the friends of my kids saying, well, we'd love to come to that party tonight, but, but, but COVID. Mm. Look at the mortality rates. When you're talking about below 1%, when you're talking about kids getting it and not even knowing they had it mm. and you know, getting a sniffly nose, we need a sense of reality in this world. We need to get back to normalcy. When, when, you're, when you're having the prime minister talk about this new super, super viral version, just as the actual fatality rates are dropping, mm. what are you doing to the British people? What are you doing to your friends and allies? It's insanity. I don't know what the economy is like now in the UK. Here, small and medium-sized businesses 
are being crushed yeah. by the insanity that is other COVID idiots, Mike. Oh, I I, know. I'm sorry, they're just COVID idiots. Yes, they totally are. I mean, you know, it's one thing, as I've been saying uh, all year, really, to protect the vulnerable, to protect those who could be damaged by this disease. That's fine. But you've got to protect all the people. You can't just allow the government to close down business. You know, Christmas has effectively been cancelled for an awful lot of people, for an awful lot of hospitality businesses who were hoping to make money this week that they couldn't make in November because of a four-week shutdown that didn't work right so now uh, uh, they have to have another four week shutdown or possibly longer that also won't work and not only that you, you, when you have people say well you can reopen but you can reopen at 25 percent capacity excuse me anybody anybody who's worked in the service trades knows at 25 percent of any service you're not even paying the electricity bills, let alone the wages of the workers who mm. have to feed their children. It's insanity. When here in, in, in America, you get the mayor of Los Angeles say, literally, I used the video clip on my show, cancel it all, cancel Thanksgiving, cancel Christmas, excuse me, this is America. In the UK, where's the bulldog spirit? Where's the spirit of Winston Churchill, yeah. the, bat the, you know, the, the Battle of Britain? Sorry, what? We're going to cancel Christmas? Are you kidding? I know. Well, I'm told now that Santa Monica uh, in California, which is a place I know quite well, is literally like a dead zone. There's nothing happening there. Mike, D.C., where I live. It's an utter bloody ghost town. If it's not, you know, the boarded up shops because of Black Lives Matter, it's because it's it's every restaurant that's closed because of the moron who runs Washington, D.C., who thinks it's much more important to take the street one block from the White House for two blocks, Mike, and have the council paint the words on the on the on the tarmac of the street. Black Lives Matter. That's more important than getting the shops and the businesses open. It is wokeness out of control. Mm, it really is. And since the, uh, um, the the election, what is the mood now in the White House? Because Donald Trump is, is relatively quiet these days. You know, the, we hear stories of him wanting to run again. We also hear stories of him wanting to start up a, a news network. We're not quite sure which of those two things he's going to do. Uh, Biden has won the popular vote, has now been declared the winner. However, there is still one further chapter to run, right? I, I wanted to commend you. I heard you intro this segment. I heard you in the last segment. The fact that you're actually telling the truth. I, I don't know if there's anybody else in the, in the mainstream media in the UK that's telling the truth. We legally, as per the Constitution, do not yet have a president-elect. Whatever Beijing Biden's team may tell you as he's still <laughs> hiding in the basement, we don't get a president-elect until January the 6th when the so-called electoral college votes are physically carried, processed through a joint session of Congress, the building behind me, and they have to be counted and declared by the Senate president, who happens to be Mike Pence, the vice president. Mm. If just one congressman and one senator decides to raise an objection to those results because he or she deems them to be fraudulent, guess what? No president-elect is declared, and these both houses have to declare, have to, have to debate those results. And if that debate lasts until January the 18th, guess what? Then the, the Congress 
chooses our president. That's how Thomas Jefferson was chosen. So nothing, nothing is decided yet. It's all to play for. And I had one of the congressmen on my show yesterday who was at the White House with the president for four hours. There was an undisclosed number of congressmen and senators mm. in the White House talking about how they stopped this fraudulent election. And, and let me be clear here. I, I don't want people to go, you know, oh, conspiracy theorists. Let me just use common sense. The president received more votes than any president in U.S. history, from George Washington to Obama. Number two, after four years of calumny, after four years of libel, of being called a misogynist, a racist, a, a white supremacist, a Nazi, Donald J. Trump received 13 million more votes than he did four years previously, after four years of libel. And we're supposed to believe that a decrepit, senile old man hiding in his basement for six months not only beat Donald Trump, but got more votes than the first black president? Mm. Are you kidding me? We, we know it's a sham. The question is, will the Republicans have backbone to stop the steal? We'll see. Well, that will be the interesting one, because the one that I like to quote to people is that what we're expected to believe, and I'm like you, Sebastian, I'm no conspiracy theorist. I was hopeful that something would have been found which was slightly more of a smoking gun than was. That hasn't really been the case, unfortunately, in the legal process. But, you know, we're expected to believe that not only um, did um, Barack Obama get fewer votes than Joe Biden. He got fewer votes than Donald Trump. So Donald Trump has actually got more votes than, than the first black president who served two terms, uh, but Biden still beat him. Yeah, it, 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 make, it makes zero sense. And when you look at the fact that, for example, here's the smoking gun, and, and when people say, oh, well, the court's this, the court's that, the courts have refused to hear the evidence. You can't make a judgment on the legal process when you have cuckolded judges who refuse to hear the evidence. Here's the evidence you need. In the four key battleground states that you need as president in our electoral college system, on the night of the election at 11 p.m., the president was winning in all of them by massive margins in Pennsylvania by 600,000 votes. What happens? Those four states in key Democrat-controlled cities like Philly, they stopped counting mm. the votes. For no reason, as if they, you know, they had to go to bed with their cup of Horlicks and have a little nap. And then what happens when they started counting the votes again, Mike, in all of those Democrat metropolises? Suddenly, Donald Trump's lead switched into a Biden lead. It's as if by magic, it just appeared out of nowhere. That's the smoking gun. And everyone says that the reason for that is because they had these sacks of, of, of mail <laughs> mail-in votes, which they hadn't yet counted. I mean, don't you count? Aren't you supposed to count the mail-in votes first? Of course you are. And it's and another smoking gun, which interestingly, none of the mainstream journalists want to interview the people in the video from Georgia, one of these cities where the votes flipped. We have video. God bless the person who found it on the CCTV system. When the Republican poll watchers were escorted out of the building, you can see them being walked out saying, oh, we're going to stop. We're going to stop counting now. Everybody's got to go to Betty buys. And then once they've left, the Democrat poll workers went back into the building, this is on video, and pulled suitcases, Mike, suitcases of quote-unquote uncounted ballots from their hiding places under the tables. Why, why is that not plastered over every newspaper? Why is CNN, why isn't the BBC talking about that? Why? Because they're in the tank 
for the Dems. Well, because nobody believed that it was genuine and that was really the reason it was given. Whether it was or not, we will never know. But Georgia is going to be the final uh, stomping ground, is yes. it not? Because there are two uh, seats there and if they go to the Democrats then that would be great news for Biden. If they don't and they go to the Republicans, uh, that would be great news uh, for them. So where is that going to go? When is that going to happen? Well, Trafalgar, one of the few uh, reliable polling companies left in, in, in the US two days ago, uh, published their latest findings on the Georgia runoffs, the two Senate seats. And, and that finding, that, that poll said that, that the GOP, the conservatives have it. But after what we've witnessed in the last eight weeks, uh, Mike, I, I know that there's shenanigans. We have people, we have columnists at the New York Times, like Tom Friedman, who actually wrote articles saying, you know what, Georgia's so important. If you're a Democrat, you've got to up sticks and move and register yourself in Georgia to vote for those Democrats. Mike, that is a felony in America. To move to another state to influence an election is a class one felony. And well, the Democrats are encouraging it in their op-eds. <laughs> well, exactly. Now, tell us about the mood in the White House, Sebastian, because, of yes. course, you have been working with the president for quite some time in various different capacities. Um, is he happy? Is he uh, content? Is he downbeat? What's he like? Well, um, I don't think I'm talking out of school. I, I've mentioned this on my show, America First. I called him after the election to tell him what, what I think he needs to do. I could tell, I could tell Mike then that uh, he wasn't his same old self. It was clear he was surrounded by people who were telling him to concede, to concede, to, to give in to the cheats. Then uh, I saw him at the Christmas party in the White House. He was ebullient. He was in a fighting mood. And then he, he published this amazing 40-minute video on Facebook. If you guys haven't seen it, I'll, I'll repost it on my, my Twitter feed, Seb Gorka, where he said, look, uh, I'm prepared to lose if it's actually a real loss and it was fair and square, but we're going to count every legal vote. Unlike Biden, who after the election said, let's count every vote. Now, isn't that interesting, Mike? He wants to count every vote, even if they're not real votes. Poor old Rudy yeah, but poor old Rudy Giuliani tried this, Sebastian, and he didn't have great success, did he? Not least because he had that terribly embarrassing press conference. And I used to love Rudy Giuliani, not only when he was US attorney in New York, but when he was mayor of New York City. And he didn't do anybody any favours in the Trump camp. Uh, by allowing himself to look so ridiculous with the, you know, the dye running down the side of his face and all of his assertions that, that, that he couldn't prove. Yeah, but at the end of the day, we, we, we have people, we have now thousands of signed affidavits, sworn affidavits. You know, that's, that's at the cost of perjury, if you lie about that. We have truck drivers who've lost their jobs, Mike, because they signed an affidavit to say they were ordered as contractors to the U.S. Postal Service to carry a truckload of 300,000 ballots from New Jersey to Pennsylvania. Mike, And so why were they fired? Because they, they drummed up some spurious, you know, you, you spoke to the press without, without, without permission from your boss and so forth. This Carrying ballots across state lines in a federal election is a felony, every single one, not 300,000 of them. So, you know, it's not a question of not having the evidence. The evidence is there. The mainstream media doesn't want to talk about it because they're, in fact, 93% of journalists, I don't know what the figure is in the UK, 93% of journalists vote for the Democrats, Mike. So yes. how are you going to get a fair shake? Oh, no, I know. Judges, but then the judges and, when, and the courts haven't accepted it either, though, have they? Look at the Supreme Court. 
What insanity. Texas and 18 other states say we object to the way this election was run in other states, which was unconstitutional. And the Supreme Court decides not on the merits of the case, but says we're not going to listen to it because Texas has no standing. Hang on a second. This isn't an election for the Pennsylvania chief dog catcher. This is an election for the federal highest position in the land, which is president, which means every state has standing. So it's it's like a cricket match where the umpire is bent. You've got to keep <laughs> fighting. You've and got that's what to you're going to do. And that's what you're yes, going to do. I admire, no, I admire no, your no, Mike, indefatigability, Mike. as some people would say. <laughs> Mike, you, you, know, you know the president. He's like you. He's irrepressible. When has Donald Trump lost? So he's prepared to win. He's prepared to say, I lost it, if it's fair and square. But now we have to find some senators and some con congressmen we have. We have already four. We need to find some senators who are going to say, no, not on my watch. Uh, it's 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 uh, it's going to be hard to find people. January is going to be interesting. Jan I tell you what, I tell you what, buckle up, Mike. Everybody on the Independent Republic, everybody at Talk Radio, buckle up because you're, if you're interested in politics, it's going to get really spicy it is. in the new is, year. Is he going to be at the inauguration, regardless of whatever happens? <laughs> oh, it's already been announced by by his supporters that they're going to have a massive, a massive, massive rally on January the sixth for the, that count of the Electoral College votes. So there's going to be another massive Trump march. When it comes to January 20th, look, I'll, I'll say one thing. My boss, Donald Trump, he's not going anywhere, Mike. Sebastian Gorka, advisor to President Trump. Brilliant stuff. Thank you very much indeed. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.